Welcome. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining. I know we might be have some more people joining and then we look forward to kind of getting this uh, this webinar or this web episode out there. So we would love to open it up. Um, guys, feel free to throw questions into the chat. Raise your hand. We'd love to answer questions and kind of um, go into what's going on in the industry and answer questions and, and have this a really interactive episode. So Ray, I'm super excited to not only have you on the breach report, but to kind of interview you a little bit. Um, we've known each other for how long we known each other. Gotta be 12 to 13 years somewhere. Yeah. In there. Long, I long knew time. you before you were even fit. You were unfit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Before fit long before that, when I was an engineer and, um, yeah. why don't you go through just real quick, a little bit of your background, how you kind of got into law firms, um, and kind of your, your career trajectory over the last 20 years. Sure. Sure. I started off actually after the Navy, I would start off as a word processor in a law firm. And then I was a legal secretary for about six months and finally moved into a systems job because I was actually literally let go from a job, um, as a legal secretary because I'm too busy fixing the computers. And I was told, quote, we don't need a computer guy. We need a secretary. A month later, they call me back, but I already found another job. So I got into systems in law firms and they just kind of grew up in law firms. So from assistant, assistant systems coordinator to IT director, CIO of a, of a, my own uh, MSP, and then back into IT director roles. I've kind of been in a lot of different scenarios and I've seen the growth of IT in law firms from what it was in right. the 90s until now is 100% different and the complications are just just off the chart. So um, I'm glad to be here. And I did want to make sure everybody that's on the call, because I know some of you guys, make sure everybody knows I'm not a cybersecurity expert. So <laughs> I'm just <laughs> an IT director in law firms who's like you guys been through a lot of stuff. And so we thought this would be a great opportunity to walk through some of those gotchas yeah. and some of those uh, issues that we should all just kind of be aware of. So I, Yeah, I think you're selling yourself a little bit short there. So you, when you, um, the first firm you worked for was, what was that, Sullivan Hill? Yeah. Is that your first one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then well, before that, there was even a couple other small ones, but that's the first IT job. Yep. The IT job. And then you were at Higgs for quite a while as well. Yeah. So that that obviously had to put you through a lot of paces. So yeah, so what as Tom knows, there's a lot of paces there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So what were what were some of the things that like if you kind of, you know, you said there was a lot of changes. What were some of the big things that you kind of noticed were changing and, and, and what were like the things that stressed you out the most, kept you up at night when you were, you know, uh, trying starting. to make sure the organization was, yeah. Yeah, first starting, I mean, honestly, for those that have been in this industry for 20 years, your your biggest issues weren't really on the cybersecurity front at all. It was more systems being up people being able to get work done, which is still, you know, our number one concern today. I remember at one point, I noticed uh, Craig jumped on the call, so I'll call him out there, but he and I worked together and we had a long discussion about, you know, what's the most important thing in law firm IT. And um, this has probably been well over 15 years ago. And it was systems uptime and user support and all that. Cybersecurity wasn't even on the radar. Um, but over time, it's one of the things that is still not on a lot of people's radar or is only in cursory manner, like checking the box. We have this documentation, we have this plan. Um, but back then it was just systems uptime, keeping things up, 
making sure things are working and that's all you focused on. And there's a lot of IT guys in the area that do not make that shift to, well, now what do we have to do? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you were part, I know you for a while, you were running kind of the ILTA group. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, and, and what were some of the trends you were seeing when you were, you know, networking with a lot of IT directors of law firms? Well, there was the initial phase of denial. Law firms aren't big enough. I'm not a big enough, you know, target. Well, the small law firm that works for a big company is the ideal target. Um, so a lot of what we saw was just the awareness. We went through a long period of time. There's one firm, um, popular firm, multinational firm that got compromised. And immediately after that, that sparked a lot of conversation. In ILTA, it was like literally, I think a month before the big conference. And so at the conference, everyone was just buzzing, talking about it. And after that, literally every firm that had a cybersecurity initiative got it approved. Um, so it was kind of nice. But what was, was what was the breach that happened there? Um, that was the big firm with the three letters that everybody knows. Um, they had built a system where every office could access every bit of data in every other office. And the okay. speed and the the slickness at which they could have that access turned out to be a big problem when they got ransomware, it could spread through site to site. So that's when we started evaluating, do I really need to have universal access to everything? Or do I need to be a little more granular? I think that was kind of the start, at least for law firms, that more of a zero trust mentality, least privileges. You know, do you really need to have access to this? What's the big deal if you have to authenticate one more time to get to this, you know, sensitive piece of data? Um, so that was a that was an exciting time. Did did when that when that happened, um, like what were the things that you did like right away in your organization? Because you were at, were you at Higgs at that time? Uh, yeah, and I think the and first thing was. Um, to get my cybersecurity initiative to have a managed services security provider on the ticket. That was my number one. Um, but no, okay. it, was, um, it was establishing multi-factor authentication and okay. making sure, because that was that's the other big gateway in. A lot of people weren't doing it at the time. It seemed like, uh, oh, it's not really needed, uh, but that would have limited down a lot of the access uh, if they had that in place. One bad set of credentials um, can, uh, ruin everything. So that was the first thing I think we focused on. Um, but there's a bunch of, you know, kind of defense in depth steps we took. And that was one of the first ones is making sure everything's got two factor on it. Yeah. Yeah. That that's pretty good. Now, one of the, one of the challenges that I know pretty much every internal IT department has with law firms is, is, you know, dealing with the, the, the partners because they just want to bill, they want easy use, they want, they don't want any inconvenience at all and things like mm -hmm. two factor uh you know zero trust super to their in their eyes it's a really big deal of inconvenience and they don't want to deal with it like so how how did you kind of overcome those challenges and what were those conversations like yeah that was the big i think the um the biggest thing was and it sounds bad, but don't let a crisis go to waste. If somebody else is struggling with something, it's in the news. You have to find the time when people are focused on an issue. Yeah, there's a there's a monthly spend to have a, a security system. You have this tool, you have this tool, all this stuff adds up. And partners, they at the end of the day, they're they're practicing law to make money. And every bit of money that's not spent on overhead is money in the equity partners' pockets. So you kind of have to appeal to them on that level. You know, like you don't want to lose this. So 
So there's a few different things you have to do. I think the biggest thing was for me was when something happens, make sure you you hear about it, not not in an alarming, you know, kind of Paul Revere kind of way, but just make sure they know like, hey, this happened, this is in the news. We don't want this to be us. Here are these cybersecurity initiatives I think we should do. Um, but also finding you'll always have, I feel like you'll always have at least one or two partners that can be your champion. You know, it's like you need to have a partner talking to the other partners, kind of helping push these initiatives through. Because if you don't have them, if you're sitting there stonewalled by a group of litigators that don't get what you're trying to do, it'll be hard. So you got to find an internal champion to kind of help you with that stuff. Um, yeah. And the other part was just, you take it in steps. I remember one law firm where they came with this giant initiative. You do something huge and you're going to pitch something that's going to cost, you know, double your IT budget one year. Guess what's going to happen? Yeah. It's going to get denied. And you went nowhere. So you need to be a little bit more, um, I don't want to say defense in depth, but you kind of do your phases. We're going to do this first. And we're going to do this. And we're going to do this. And then get those things approved as you go. So I think that that kind of helps because if nothing else, at least do this. Or if nothing else, at least do these two steps, even if you can't do all 20 you want to do. Does that make yeah. sense? No, I like that. Um, Stephen McHugh uh, said uh, client audits fit, fix those issues now. I definitely, we, I mean, we've kind of seen that where clients are coming with their list of um, questions that they want yeah. answered. And um, that's another good driver. So it's it a huge be- driver. That's huge. So, so we've, you know, the, a lot of times they don't know how to answer a lot of those questions because it's about, you know, uh, how they yeah, backups are handled, data is handled, monitoring, permissions, things like that. They'll they'll kick it over to the IT. That's a perfect example where you can say, hey, look, here's all the yeses that we do do. So I would highly promote what you're doing because you need to you need to promote because obviously every IT department, any good IT department is working really hard and probably has a lot of those checks. So I, so I would pr- use that as promotion. Hey, look, great news. We doing these ones, but here's the ones that we can't in good faith say yes to. And this is why, and that might be an opportunity because if the client's big enough and they don't want to, they don't want to reply a no to a client that they know is probably yeah. have issue. They're going to want to make the change. And then suddenly some budget might appear for that. One of the questions that they ask in those audits, preferably we, you know, one thing I think I know in the ILTA community, we all kind of share those back and forth, like, hey, I got this new audit from somebody. And this is the kind of questions they're asking. Like, what do you think? What do you guys, because what happens is those questionnaires from clients have, have morphed over the years. They're getting a lot more in depth and they don't want to just see, like before you could be honest, like, no, we don't have that right now, but we're looking at it, right? Now they're like, well, we'll do business when you when you do have it, you know. So they're they're asking more questions, they're asking better questions, and they're wanting to see actual, you know, samples of proof that it's in place. So yeah, that's another big push. So it's finding somebody else having a compromise where you can piggyback on that. We don't want this to be us. It can be client questionnaires coming in. It can be something happening in your own environment that's kind of an aha got you kind of thing. Um, so again, not to be an alarmist, I don't think the people that go in and are those alarmists ever really effectively get what they they want to get accomplished but still making sure that you're bringing these things up having these constant conversations about them so yeah thanks for that steve that was good yeah that was good uh eric kind of added to that he said deliverables include risk registered board decks and journey maps so that's huge yeah, they're not Another... just asking for you to check boxes anymore they want to see actual proof that you're doing what you say you're yeah. doing. yeah 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 definitely so <laughs> Another opportunity that I know this is kind of going into like a whole separate conversation, which is cybersecurity insurance, but 
usually once a year, there's time that now those cyber questionnaires are becoming way, way more in depth. Like there mm-hmm. used to be like no questions. Then it was like, you know, a few questions. Now they have like really in-depth questions. And I've even seen one insurance uh, provider run their own external vulnerability test slash pen test against the customer's environment. So it wasn't internal, it was just mm-hmm. external. But even so, the fact that they were like kind of rolling up their sleeve and like poking to see what they could find was was pretty telling of where the industry is going. And so, you know, when you feel when you're filling that out, that that could be another opportunity, not only to be like really honest, because that could come up if there's ever a claim in there that they, you know, don't deny you for some reason. But that's another thing. Go to the uh, decision maker, say, hey, look, we don't have this like it's either going to mean it could mean different things it could mean that they don't want to cover you it could mean that they the premium they will cover you but premiums go up or maybe the payouts aren't as big like there's a lot of a lot of different things there so uh grc tooling great for organization quick for attestation nice maybe throw a link in there that'd be great i think everyone would enjoy that um so well, real quick, one, i would want to point out because i think that was yeah. one thing we had talked about before is um policies and cybersecurity insurance and having those, I mean, having all the best policies in the world isn't really going to protect you, right? It's really just more on the HR back end. Can you fire a person for breaking your policies? And the same thing with cybersecurity insurance, having the insurance isn't going to help you in a breach. It's not going to recover the goodwill loss to your, to your clients or potential clients when you get breached. It's just, can you recover some of the things? So some of those things, again, I don't look at those as an internal IT guy. Those are good things to have, but they're not going to protect you. Really what comes down to protect you, that's what the in-house IT staff is focused on. Yeah, that's really good. So so how were you, when, when you were kind of in this role, how were you from the IT perspective as kind of the leader of the IT department? And then obviously you had to take this to the decision makers, how are you weighing risk versus usability or risk versus cost? That's a good one. That was the, um, somebody once said, I think it was at an ILTA conference. Somebody said that um, technology left to technologists would become unusable, right? Like we can, by our very nature, complicate the bejesus out of something to where people can't use it. So there's always this risk versus usability. Lawyers need to be able to work from wherever. Okay, well, that's going to present a risk, but the usability, the billable time, the getting things done for the client is huge. So we need to figure out. So for everything that you do on one side, you need to do something on the other side to help protect it. Does that make sense? So yeah. back in the day, you have everything inside one office. You could do lockdown, you know, Fort Knox, you have to be in the office to work. Those aren't the days anymore. So it's it's everywhere. So yeah, every time you're opening something up to make it usable for your lawyers, you have to counter that with something. So that was always I would look at that in a tip for tap kind of thing. We want to open this up, but if we do, we're going to have to protect it with this. And if you're approaching everything from that risk versus usability, if we want to be able to use this here, we're going to have to at least minimize some of the risk by putting something in place um, on the other side. Except the risk conversations. Yeah, exactly. If you, But that's, that's the thing. If you want to be able to work from wherever... And these last few years, oh my gosh, like if you weren't doing that, being able to work from anywhere, um, making the the transition on the fly, there's so many people that did it and didn't do it securely because they weren't having those conversations as they go. 
Um, so if you are one of those that like, we weren't ready for working from anywhere, we had to quickly deploy working from anywhere, going back and addressing those security concerns that you opened up by doing that, that's that's probably, well, maybe too late, but good time to do it now. Yeah. What are some of the best practices for remote workers maintaining the security? What are, what are some of the best practices that, like, from your perspective, Ray? Um, okay, so I think the first thing is, um, obviously, you want them preferably working on your devices. So the one thing that law firms have that a lot of, like, our company's a little bit different, law firms, almost everybody is holding on to client data at some point, right? Whether it's in your emails, documents you work on. Whenever you're holding on to client data, if you're a bank holding it, there's always these other organizations that you're answering to. You have this higher ethical responsibility to protect that data, right? So not working on just personal devices, but only working on firm-owned devices, being able to control those devices, making sure those devices are clean. The simplest thing, and I think somebody once said that the um, the biggest preventer of, of cybersecurity issues is just preventative maintenance, making sure you're patching, make sure you have good antivirus endpoint detection, something like a CrowdStrike or one of those that's monitoring everything that's happening on the endpoint that they're working on. And then I know you can't completely stop them from getting onto Outlook, you know, Outlook.com from some other laptop, but you can limit down to where you can't actually download data on those. So conditional access rules inside of, of Azure. There's so many things that I think are at people's disposal that they don't want to take the time to learn um, but they're really not as complicated as they seem. Does that make sense? So yeah. two-factor authentication using firm-owned devices whenever possible that you have control over, and then good hygiene, making sure you're keeping your, your systems patched so you're not susceptible to the latest vulnerability. And that includes all the endpoint systems. The, the places that stuff's coming in from is going to be the individual attorney sitting at a Starbucks somewhere. Yeah, now that... That makes a lot of sense. And then just, you know, as people are so much more mobile now, I know a lot of law firms, it was, and some still are, they want everybody, we work with one one uh, law firm and they want everybody in the office. But I think most law firms are now having to get to the Stop point, yeah. even if the, even if the plaque is on the wall, they're really not in there that much. They're kind of, they're kind of at home or on the road or the golf course or wherever they're, you know, working from. So it's yeah. it's key to kind of like monitor those behaviors and 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 just being able to see strange behavior that that other that's anomalous right 99% of it's probably okay but it's that one that you want to 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 capture um so we had a question in here that I'd love to get a little bit into which is uh thoughts on breach counsel as it pertains to attorney client privilege so this is this is one that I I've got the the opportunity to work with and I hope I'm answering this but sometimes attorneys will have clients that their their client is had a breach or there's a cyber incident of some sort and they now need to get a, figure out the situation and 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 they're they're the legal counsel for this outside entity um in those cases uh, the, the the role that we played is we came in as uh, cybersecurity experts to kind of uh, figure out what happened in the environment or to help lock down the environment and you know assess what happened. I think the big important piece on that is that we were hired by the attorney and not 
by the attorney's client. So we didn't, uh, the attorney did, we communicated through the attorney and we never at any point um, divulged our findings directly to the organization that the attorney is representing. We always divulge it to the attorney. We give them the reports. They then can present it to the client with us or without us on the call, but then that would protect it under attorney-client privilege. So where it got into really murky waters is if like the attorney brought us in and the client paid us directly versus mm -hmm. the attorney paid us, or maybe the attorney paid us, but then after the fact, um, we the you know the CEO is like, well, what did what what did you find, uh, Mr. Engineer, Mr. Cyber Expert? And they're like, oh, this is what we're seeing. Like now we've already kind of pierced that attorney-client privilege veil. So it, it's really important that everybody on the team really knows. Do not. It's not that we're being secretive. It just must go through the attorney. So we're like, absolutely, we're going to get you that information. Let me. Uh, uh, talk to Mr. Attorney and we'll, 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 we'll set up a call or we'll get you that report or whatever it is. Then we communicate that to the attorney. The attorney then delivers the results. And that way at any point, if there were to be, you know, worst case scenario, this goes to court, there's expert, we're called into question for expert witness. It's like, we're not, we're not dealing with the client. We're dealing directly. We, we are a, a counsel to the attorney and he's brought us in as, as, uh, an expert in that breach. So I think that's, I hope that answers that question, but um, you know, I think most attorneys probably know that a lot better than I could ever explain it. I just kind of, that's my, <laughs> what we have. Uh, they'd, yeah. they'd spend another two hours and bill you a lot for it and write you a really long document to be hard to read that. So yeah, that was a better, yeah. <laughs> better synopsis of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that was, that was a big one. And um yeah, that, that, that's good. Um, what what do you see happening in the in the law? You know, in this industry, you know, this year, next year, what changes do you see happening um, when it comes to you know forward looking with cybersecurity with with law firms and and what they can be doing to help lock their environment down. And, and and just make sure their their law firm is tight. Well, again, like I said at the beginning of the call, as I don't pretend to be the foremost expert on this stuff, I'm just an IT guy that struggled with this stuff like everyone else. But um, one thing is for sure that everything that we do, every movement we make to make things more secure, uh, work better, get better policies to you know view the random activities and and keep track of things the more the bad guys are stepping up their game. So um, the biggest thing I think are the, the the biggest threats out there are more the traditional things just in new ways. Um, so what I mean by that is ransomware is still going to be an issue. Um, but I think what we're seeing is there's people who are in your environments that are in there for a year and they're being very patient, waiting to write that just the right time. Like the one instance between... Um, two law firms, you know, that happened to me on this call. Uh, we had an instance back and forth with an email that um, somebody was, it was a third party small firm based out of I don't know, Ohio or somewhere that was monitoring emails between two law firms. And me and the other guy are both like, I'm not compromised. You're not compromised. But somewhere along the way, that email thread 
was was monitored for months. So just the right time. So discussions came in about the um, the agreement, the settlement agreement, and where would they wire the funds? Then here they come scooping in, send it to me in Mexico. We're like, what? Um, luckily, people sniffed it out. But it's just those the people on the 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 bad actors. They have they play the long game in a lot of times where you don't even realize they've been in your environment for a long time, monitoring, seeing everything. They're not always after you, the law firm. They're after your clients a lot. Um, so. The biggest thing I see is people just need to um, take on those simple hygiene steps, put in multi-factor authentication on your Office 365. Everyone's like, move things to the cloud. It's a lot more secure. Not more secure if you're not putting you know, security measures in place on those. You're just making it more universally acceptable. So um, I think what I see from my perspective in the future is they're going to stay one step ahead of us. We'll never be able to say, like, if somebody wants in your environment, you won't be able to keep them out. It's just a matter of putting up enough blocks, barriers to not be the little hanging fruit, right? So somebody comes by and knocks on your doors and shakes your windows, tries to get in, they can't get in, they move on. But if somebody wants to break in and they camp out and they're there, um, you want to make sure you're building in enough safeguards to where the simple guys aren't going to get you the more complicated more complicated, you know, you're never going to be able to spend enough money to completely keep out everybody, but at least make yourself not the low hanging fruit and accept that there are smart people out there that are trying to stay one step ahead of you. Partnering with a company that can help you. That's the other thing is realizing what you don't know. So part of what I did at Higgs was sign up for managed security services. I can't have a full-time SOC analyst on my, uh, in my, inside my environment, in my, um, my IT staff. So realizing that's a limitation I have, finding somebody to help me with that. Um, and then just making sure the tool sets you have are actually working. Um, just buying a tool, saying you have a tool is not the same as that tool actually protecting information. So um, evaluating those tools, the tool you, you bought three years ago may not be the best in breed today. So I think those are the things, it's just, it's an ever changing evolution. That's yeah, a good, and it's not answer, wasn't it? Just kept going. No, that was good. No, and, I, and that's I think how our relationship started is 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 you as the client, and now you're on the team, which we're super super stoked yeah. about, and been been great for us. Um, so so one of the things that I, I kind of wanted to touch on something you said was like you can't if someone really wants to get in, keeping them out, and I, I think that's a good approach, good mindset, because it's about like being able to know. Also, not just, yes, you want to prevent everything you can, but if they have a stolen credential, even with two-factor authentication, we've we've had scenarios where someone got their Apple ID, they logged in with an iPad in a different place, so they were able to authenticate their own, they had the stolen credentials for the user account, they also had the stolen credentials for the Apple ID, so then they logged in and from the messenger, they could, you know, approve their own their own login, yeah. but you know, we were able to to see that happen because it was out of a strange uh, city that that this person had never logged into before. And then we kind of started digging in, and we said, "Hey, how did they authenticate themselves? This is weird. Um, they were logged in at two places at the same time. How is this possible?" And then kind of figured out that way. So I think also just having. Um, you know, human resources, like if you're, you know, if you got a village that you're trying to protect, you don't just need guns, you also need people to, to have the guns, right? So, so it's, it's kind of like, you can't only rely on the tools, you also have to have the, that human aspect to, you know, 
to leverage it. So that was pretty cool. Um, oh, and the one, the one other piece that I just kind of with all this talk about AI and all the stuff that's doing, I feel like people get AI and, and machine learning kind of a little confused, but it seems like as we progress, the more we can, I mean, others are going to be using the technology, the more we can triangulate, triangulate is that the right term, but taking information from multiple data points, right. And analyze them. And I think that's one of the things that we try to do here at least is make sure if we're seeing this, we're seeing this, we're seeing this, those things together raise enough flag that somebody can look at it. You could easily get swarmed in alerts. And then what's the saying? If everything's important, nothing's important. So making sure you have, whether it's a, an AI-based, machine learning-based type of a system that's you know synthesizing all this information and then letting you know, alerting you of those important things that you need to look into further. Lots of times they're not. You know, we send alert to the client. They're like, oh yeah, we know about that. That's fine. Yes, that user really is in Russia today. You know, something like that. Yeah. Um, but if they didn't know, it's it's gathering those different data points. You logged in from the US and you logged in from Russia 10 minutes later. Are you really in both places? Well, yeah, we're using a virtual desktop. So it is. We're getting in from Russia and then virtual desktops in the US. Okay, that makes sense. But just finding those different data points, they may not mean anything on their own, but collectively they mean more. So, yeah, no, I like that. Um, one one question was about like uh, purple teams emulating, uh, you know, attacks and 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 how to, you know, tighten up the network environment from that. So that that's a really good point because, um, you know, you you typically have red team, which is like the penetration testers. Uh, then you have the blue team, which is the defense, and it's great to have them working in harmony because you want a pen tester as they're testing, you want the blue team to actually be responding to that and, and seeing, seeing it. Yeah. They actually notice it. Are they, is there alerts being generated? If no, then you may, maybe not getting enough event sources or the tuning is not, is, is too tight and you're not getting enough false positives. Right. So you're kind of balancing that. And then um, the purple team members typically kind of like, do a little bit of both and, and, and um, they're, you know, they're, they work with the red team, they work with the blue team um, to kind of marry the results together and also during the testing process and so on. So, so a good example is on a vulnerability scan, say you run like an SS or Qualys vulnerability scan, um, you know, you have the, the high, medium and lows, and we've seen that in a lot of environments, when we actually do a true penetration test, uh, not external, but internal, when you do the internal piece, there's like three lows that when used in combination, you can grab the administrator password hash on a lot of networks. Like I'd say it's probably like 60% of the net networks were able to, to grab that administrator hash. But if you were just kind of only, if you weren't actually doing that true test, you were only relying on the vulnerability scan, they would show up as lows. And as the internal IT person, I'm, you know, yes, the lows are important, but highs are way more important. So I'm going to focus on those, but it was really the three lows used in conjunction that allowed the administrator hash to be compromised. And so it's just kind of, in, you know, I, I think it's, it's really critical as part of the cybersecurity strategy, you know, uh, you wouldn't build a house without an inspector, um, and if you did, if, if if that if that process wasn't part of the house building, there could be a high risk that something might be wrong with that house. And so um, the penetration process is 
while you're not doing that every month necessarily, maybe you're doing vulnerability scannings every month, having an annual or a biannual kind of like building out what the risk profile is and then and then figuring out the right strategy is super important for that. Yeah, and I noticed there was another part of that that question that um that Eric had asked about um you know what threat actors CVs are common C CVs are common in the legal space. And I feel like the legal space is just the same. So there's there's the targeted threats where people are coming after you using more, and that's more social kind of, at least from what I've seen, just got to preface that. But the the random scans, if you have an IP that's public facing, you're going to be susceptible to all the same stuff that everyone else is from log4j to just um, denial of service. You just so having the right hardware in place, making sure it's patched. Make sure, I mean, that was the, the biggest thing is whenever there's a CVE found that they come out of patch for just staying vigilant on those things, being in a state of continual, I want to say like DevOps type of a strategy, but to some degree, your environment is always in a state of flux. And so many times lawyers, especially, they don't want to change anything. I just want to do what I've been doing. I can't have this downtime. You can't bring it. It's like, you have to have this stuff built in regular monthly maintenance, keeping things clean. You're less likely to get hit by these things if you're just keeping good hygiene, you know? So yeah. that, yeah, to that point, I feel like it's all of the above. And if you have perfect teams trying to emulate those things, um, just whatever's hot in the news usually tends to be within the first, I'd say week to month of these things coming out. That's when all the, um, the posers out there are just trying to do the same thing. Hey, there's a six point that's been publicly available now. Boom, it hits everything. And we see it. We see the traffic. Yeah, Log4j has been a great, like a lot of people don't really understand the full implication of like what yeah, happened was here. It was so big. Um, so many businesses were compromised that, that um, what people don't realize is that a lot of organizations were were infiltrated and, but criminals just didn't have time to do anything with it. They just had a foothold. And so they now- They just to make sure they could. They, they'll sell you access to companies they already have access to that they, they just didn't have time to do anything with. And so they'll like, you know, before you could like on the dark web buy tools, like, hey, I, I need a ransomware tool. Now you can actually buy companies that have already have a foothold in and they're like, here, here's your access. We got access. Here's we just, have, yeah, we haven't even got around to it uh doing anything with it but here you go you, you know take take a whack at it and uh I'll, I'll i'll sell you it so that that's kind of just crazy um to think about that someone might have an access to an organization whether it be a law firm or something else and, and the criminal just hasn't had time to get around to it and now they're selling it to another criminal that might have some time or interest to try and Scary. do something with it yeah it's pretty scary i think we're we're over time so i want to be respectful about yeah. people's time here this is good conversation though um, yeah we got too we got too deep into it ray but hey i uh i appreciate you coming on and uh having this conversation and we thank everybody that 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 participated and, and got to listen live and then uh for all the listeners that'll listen later uh, if you have any questions, uh, we would love to to answer them for you. Please reach out anytime and have a great, great Wednesday, everybody. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thank you. Good to see you, Talk to you soon. See ya. Bye.